1 Peter 3, as we've been going verse by verse through 1 Peter, uh, we have been really drilling home the point of submission. We've seen that in most of chapter 2. You're going to see it at the beginning of chapter 3. Um, as I've said to you before, I believe the key word for the Christian is the word submission. Because it is surrender, it's the same term, it's the same idea, it's the same word. And so when you talk, I have people all the time tell me, say, preacher, surrender's not in the Bible. Well, I got news for you. The principle of surrender and submission is from Genesis to Revelation. And so you need to understand that is the key component of the Christian life. I promise you, you will never walk in the reality of who you are in Christ without submission and surrender. Just never happened. Now, we've seen that uh, as we submit to the government authorities God has put over us, then we saw in chapter 2 how as servants to masters in that day, employees to employers, using the terminology of this day, we're to submit to those that God has placed over us in that regard. Then we saw last Sunday night, we saw the example of the submission of the Lord Jesus. Aren't you glad that God never asked us to do anything Christ Jesus hadn't already accomplished? And then this morning and tonight, we're going to see the submission in the home. Now, if we're submitted to Him in our lives as a Christian, it will carry over into our home. Now, the reality is we really don't know what that looks like most of the time in our homes. But I want to tell you, this passage makes it clear. You say, well, preacher, when you did Colossians and Ephesians, you did with the husbands and wives. I did. In those passages, they deal with the husbands and the wives. But this deals with it in a whole different arena. Because this is specifically, this morning we're going to look. Now, ladies, listen to me. Y'all love me? Say amen. All right, there's six verses on the wives and one verse on the husband. But husbands, don't think you're going to get off. Because it'll take me longer to do the one verse tonight on the husbands as it will the six verses on the wives this morning. Amen? So, there, I mean, listen, verse 1 through 6 deals with the wife, verse 7 deals with the husband. And I'll deal with verse 7 tonight. And so, so here's the reality. How many of you want a biblical home? This is the only way you'll have it. So let's read this together. Likewise, you wives be in subjection to your own husbands. Now here's the purpose, okay? Here's where it differs from Colossians and Ephesians. That if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be outward adorning of plaiting of hair, wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel. Don't panic, ladies. I'll deal with that in the context in a minute. But let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great prize. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trust in God, adorn themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, 
whose daughters you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Father, we live in a day today. Father, that our homes are in trouble. Father, as I prayed early this morning, I am reminded again that every nation that has fallen, it began with the decay of the family. And Father, we're seeing this lived out in America every single day. But Father, I want to thank you that you're sufficient for a family. And Father, you've given us clear guidance and clear admonition of how to walk in a biblical family. So Father, would you use this text this morning and again tonight, Father, to help us Father, if you need to convict, if you need to remind, if you need to exhort, if you need to encourage. But Father, help us to have a biblical family. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, let me tell you the backdrop of this passage, okay? The backdrop of this passage is this. That in that day, there was if you will, the cultural tradition of that day. That whatever religion the husband would adopt or give himself to, the wife was required to follow suit, even if it was a religion of idolatry. Now, that was the cultural relevance. But what was happening in that day is there were several individuals that were coming to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And in some cases, it was the wives that were coming to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And yet the husband had still given himself to his idolatrous religion. And what was happening is it was causing tension within the home. You have to remember, Peter was written concerning those that were being persecuted. And many wives were being persecuted because they were giving themselves to Christianity. And so Peter is writing here in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit concerning how do these wives respond in this kind of atmosphere. Now the principles in which he lays out is true with any marriage relationship. Whether you're being persecuted in your marriage or you're not. It's still a true principle that we need to understand and adhere to. But the, here's the context. How does a biblical wife bring a lost husband to a place of knowing their need for salvation? And the only way that is possible is being a biblical wife. And so that's really what this passage is dealing with, okay? And so if you want to know... How do I reach my family? How do I reach my husband? Or in the same lot, husbands, how do I reach a lost wife? And can I tell you, these truths that we're going to look at this morning and tonight are the answer. So with that being said, I want you to look first at the willingness of the wife. The willingness of the wife. Now I want you to see one word first, likewise. Now, that word likewise is a very, very important word. You say, why? Because it gives the wives the example of what submission looks like. 
And you say, what do you mean? Well, likewise is a connective term. It connects us back to the previous section. And what was at the end of chapter 2? We saw the submission demonstrated in the Lord Jesus that when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he was accused, he did not accuse back. When he was charged, he didn't ask for God to bring judgment. Instead, he prayed, Father, forgive them. In other words, he was submitted to his Father, and because he was submitted to his Father, and the cross was the will of God for him, and aren't you glad today it was? Then Christ Jesus was submitted to his Father and therefore submitted to the circumstances which had to take place for him to obey the Father and therefore he did not revile when he was being reviled. And so we saw a clear representation of the example of submission. And so here's what he says, likewise, or let me put it to you this way, here's the way it reads in the Greek, in the exact same way you wives be subject to your husband. Now, you say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I can't be subject to my husband in that way that Christ was and be happy. Well, I want you to hear me. Y'all love me, say amen. So many times we base relationships off of if I'm happy or if I'm not happy. Well, I got news for you. You need to base your relationships on holiness and not happiness. Because if you are walking in holiness, you're going to be happy. Why? Because you're going to be in right fellowship and right relationship with the Lord. Can I tell you, for a Christian, true happiness comes from your relationship with the Lord above everything else. Now, we think it comes in our physical relationships. Well, I'm glad God gives us the gift of wives and husbands and children and all of those things. But folks, listen. True happiness will only come through your relationship with the Lord. And so here's what he does. He says, likewise, in the exact same way, the example of submission. Then he gives the exhortation of submission. He says, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husband. Now, what does this word subjection mean? Well, it's a military term that means to come under order. In other words, it means this, to be submitted to authority placed over you. Just like the servant to the master, just like us to the government uh, uh, that God has allowed to be over us. Now remember, I want to clarify all of those. When I did all of those in chapter 2, what was the one thing that I reminded you of? That when it comes to obeying God, that trumps everything else. So in other words, I have wives tell me, well, if I follow the Bible, then he's going to have me do things that are not biblical. No, listen, you subject to your husband, but you subject yourself to the Lord first and foremost. And that always trumps everything. But this word subjection, listen, it literally means to come under the authority of. Now you see the examples of this in, chapter, in verse 5 and verse 6. You see it with the Old Testament saints who trusted in God and yet subjected themselves to their own husbands. Now, I promise you, ladies, you will never be a biblical wife if you don't trust God first. Okay? But then notice verse 6. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, you have to understand, when you read that, you think, well, listen, are, are you saying I'm to treat my husband like the Lord Jesus. Well, you're not to worship your husband like the Lord, but you are to subject or submit yourself unto your husbands 
as unto the Lord. You say, where do you find that out? Ephesians chapter 5. Why submit yourself unto your husbands as unto the Lord? In other words, your vertical submission to God will flow out of a horizontal submission to your husband. And this is what he's saying here. Now, you say, well, listen, don't that make me less than? No, it don't. Makes you greater. You say, what do you mean by that? Listen, you're going to find out in just a minute and tonight that husbands and wives, from a spiritual standpoint, are on the same level. In other words, God don't see a husband above a wife from a spiritual standpoint. It does not make you a lesser person. Matter of fact, it makes you a biblical person. How many of you agree today that in a military system, if you're a private, you have to submit to the general? All right? What if the private has better character than the general does? What if the private is a better person in how they live than the general is? Well, it doesn't matter. The private could be a better person in character and in living, but yet at the same time, because of the order, they have to submit themselves to that general. Don't make them a lesser person. Well, how many of you agree today that the Lord Jesus submitted to not only the Father, but the Lord Jesus submitted himself to the ridicule, to the beatings, and to the whippings, and to the pulling of the beard, spitting of the face, because he was submitted to his Father. You see, it doesn't make Jesus a lesser person. Don't make him weak from a standpoint of spiritual. And so... Ladies, this is what the Bible gives us concerning submission. It's an exhortation whereby, here's what it means. You're not difficult. You're not demanding. And lastly, you're not difficult or demanding. And you're not divisive. You submit yourself unto your husband. Now, let me show you secondly, not only the willingness of the wife, but the witness of the wife. Because Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts his finger on the divine purpose in which he's trying to accomplish through this exhortation. Now watch what it is. If any obey not the word, being the husband, also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wife. Now, this is going to be true for a husband that has a lost wife or a wife that has a lost husband. But yet the principle is very, very significant. And I want you to see a few things. The evidence of lostness. He identifies those that are lost. He said, if any obey not the word. Now, you, you say, well, how do you know they're identifying those that are lost? Because why would they need to be one if they're already one? So in other words, he's identifying if a wife, and, and let me go back to the culture of that day, if a wife has given herself to Christianity, the husband is still in a pagan religion, then here's what the Bible says. Wives, submit yourself, subject yourself unto your husbands, come under his authority as long as it doesn't go against the word of God, that through that, through your conversation, which means your life, how you live, your husband will be one without the word. Now, I'll, I'll explain what that means without the word in just a moment. But here's what it means. 
How do I discern? Here's one of the biggest problems I see today. People have so much trouble discerning their own families because blood runs thick and you always want to think the best of your family. How many agree with that? Say amen. Well, I want to tell you something. We need to put our preconceptions aside. Let the Bible define how we discern. And the Bible says that one that does not habitually keep the word, that person is or needs to be one. Means that person is lost. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. And so how do I know how to pray for my spouse? How do I know how to pray for my family members? Well, it comes down to this. Is there evidence, continuous, habitual evidence of their life that the obedience to the Word of God is a priority in their life? If it's not, can I tell you something? You who are saved are the biblical witness to that individual. And you may be the only evidence of obedience in which they see. And this is what it's saying. Now, so you see the evidence of lostness. But let me show you the exposing of lostness. So what exposes a spouse who is not saved, in this case a husband who is not saved, to their desperate need to be saved? The conversation or the lifestyle of the wife. Verse 2, while they behold your chaste conversation or your lifestyle coupled with fear. See, wives, listen. How do I be an example or a witness to my spouse or to any family for that matter? Your lifestyle speaks far louder than your words. So what does that mean? Without word, they may be one. Here's what it means. It doesn't mean without the word of God they could be one because how many agree today? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. So that's not what it means. So what does it mean? Without word means without discussion, without arguing, without prodding, without poking. In other words, it means this, that your lifestyle in giving yourself to the word of God, which is in contrast to your spouse or to your family member, your lifestyle will say more than your words can ever say. And let me remind you how evangelism took place in the book of Acts. They didn't go out looking for people to witness to. The people who saw their lifestyle came to them and say, hey, how must I be saved? Because I want to promise you, what they see in you will speak louder than what they hear from you. And this is what he's saying. He's saying that by your giving yourself to the Word in contrast to him or your family member who does not obey the Word, that through that conversation, through that lifestyle, they will or may be one. Now listen, ladies, if you have a lost husband, that ought to encourage you to death. Because God's given a prescription which your spouse could be one or your family member can be one. And this is what it's saying. Now, you say, well, what do you mean 
without the word or without speaking or prodding with words, but yet living out the word of God. Here's what it means, that you must be faithful to the word. Here's how you expose your husband's losses or your family member's losses. You've got to be faithful to the word. Because if the key component to their losses is they have no evidence of obeying the word, then what must they see in you? There has to be a faithfulness to the word. There has to be the fulfilling of the word. Now you say, what do you mean the fulfilling of the word? It's not just you're faithful to give yourself to the word. That's part of it. But the word has to be lived out through you. The word has to be be fulfilled in and through your life. Your spouse or your family member needs to see the word of God lived out in your life and in my life. I've shared this example before. I want to share it again. Church I pastored, I had a lady that started attending our church. Her husband had nothing, nothing, wanted nothing to do with the things of God. I was there seven years. She started coming about two years after I got there. And in five years, I only saw that man in church one time. And that one time was when their children were in a Christmas play. Only time he ever darkened the doors of church. I would meet with this lady as far as a conversation at church, and we would come up with ways that I could go over and talk to him. And we, we even, literally, we even organized times where she would be gone, and I would come to his house, and it would just be me and him. And every time I did it, I did it two or three different times, he never would answer the door. And this lady never missed a service. Her husband would, listen, I'm not throwing rocks at any denomination. I'm just telling you the story. She, she was in a Methodist church all her life. She would get to church at 11. She'd be home by 1130. And when she started coming to that church, she'd get there at 11. She may get home by 1230. I can't imagine why it was that way. And her husband would give her down the road. Why does it take that long for you to go to church? All the time he was in her ear. And the only thing she would say to him is I have to be in church. And she would keep coming. And keep coming. When I left that church about a year later, her and him called me and my wife in Alabama. This was in Tennessee, in Alabama, where I was now pastor. And he called me and said, you mind if we come down? I like to deer hunt. you mind if we come down and stay at your house and fellowship with you and your family? After I got off the floor, I said, absolutely. They came down. He came to church that Sunday morning, Sunday night. I set him up. They had deer camps down there, uh, hunting clubs down there. I set him up with some of the best hunting clubs in the area. He said, Why don't you listen to me? The last I heard, he still is faithful to the church. 
You say, why is that? Because she didn't try to belittle him. She just said, I've got to obey God. The word was being lived out through her. She loved him unconditionally. You say, well, preacher, I get mad as a hornet of what my husband does all the time. Well, guess what? Why not love him the way Christ loved you? Because I promise you what you did to Christ is never going to touch what that your husband does to you. The word, faithful to the word, the fulfilling of the word, and the fear of the word. Notice this, coupled with fear, awe for the word of God, awe for the things of God. In other words, here's what Peter's saying to these wives. Does your husband who does not obey the word, do they know that your greatest reverence is him, the Lord. You see, there's the witness of the wife. The willingness, you've got to give yourself to submission. Witness, you become the walking evidence of the word lived out in their lives. Now, notice thirdly the wardrobe of the wife. All right? Don't worry, ladies. I promise you, it's okay to wear a necklace and earrings. Are y'all hearing me say amen? I'll explain it in a minute. Who's adorning, let it not be with outward adorning of plaiting of hair, wearing of gold, or putting on one own peril, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. Now you have to read verse 3 and the beginning of verse 4 together to understand what he's saying. He's not saying that a woman should be messy in how she looks. That's not what he's saying. The word adorning, here's what the word adorning means in the Greek. It means simply to be arranged or be harmonious. In other words, it's the opposite of chaos. Now, some people take verse 3 and they take it out of context and they say a woman should never wear uh, jewelry, a woman should never... Uh, do her hair a certain way or a woman should not wear certain apparel. That is not what this is saying at all. Are y'all hearing me say amen? Here's what it's saying. What is a woman using to appeal to others and her husband specifically? Is it her outward appearance or is it her inward appearance? That's what it's saying. And so what you find here is you find a few things. Let me just walk you through these things real quick, okay? The first thing is the perception of beauty. Most people think beauty is from the outside. The Bible says beauty is from the inside. I have people all the time that I witness to that they tell me, they say, Preacher, I, I, can't, I can't give myself to Christianity because I have to make too many changes and I can't make those changes. And I look at them and I say, you're right, you can't. But you let Christ come alive in your heart and he will change you inside and it will change you outside. Now listen, I want to say it again. Ladies, there's nothing wrong with having an outward appearance 
that is in order, respectful. And there's nothing wrong with being pretty on the outside. Are y'all hearing me say that? How many agree? I better not say that. You ladies will take it wrong. How many agree a, a, a little paint helps a barn? Are y'all with me? Say amen. Nothing wrong with that. Now, you ladies, y'all not going to get mad at me, are you? Nothing wrong with that at all. It's not what this verse is saying. But what it is saying is your inward appearance is far more important to winning your spouse or be a witness to your family than how you look on the outside. You can look like a princess on the outside and not get to first base winning your spouse to the Lord. That's what this is saying. And so you see the perception of beauty. You've got to have the right perception. You see the person of beauty. Now watch this, because this really lit me up. Okay, ladies, I want you to see this. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. You say, who is that? Well, how many of you agree today? There is no inward beauty without the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the inward man of the heart? Now, some Bible scholars say, well, it's just the inner self. I got news for you. The inner self is defiled and decayed. I mean, I'm my listen. These folks like, and I'm just going to name them, Oprah Winfrey, that says, listen, the best thing you can be is be who you are inside. I got news for you. If you live out who you are inside, you're going to live like a rebel. The only hope for man is the life of Christ inside. And so here's what he's saying. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being in order on the outside. Had nothing wrong with having yourself dressed right and appearing right on the outside. But here's what matters. Is the hidden man, is the Lord Jesus in you, is he being seen above you? In other words, when people see you, do they look at you and say, wow, what gorgeous authority this person has? Or do they see you and say, wow, what the Lord is about? That's what matters. And you can have both, ladies. You can have both. The person of beauty, here's what it looks like. The hidden man lived out through your heart. A beauty of holiness. How many agree if he's holy, he lives in you, he's going to represent himself through you, and holiness is going to be the beauty of your life. Humility. Not just the beauty of holiness, the beauty of humility. Because now you're going to see that because Christ lives in you, you're not worthy. How many agree? None of us are worthy. And it's only by grace I have the hidden man of the heart. It's only by grace I have the Lord Jesus. And you're going to be reminded over and over of yourself. You're going to be reminded of yourself that, listen, I'm, I'm not worthy, but praise the Lord, He lives within me. Holiness, humility. But notice not only the perception of beauty and the person of beauty, but the 
permanence of beauty. Watch what it says. In which is not corruptible. And here's what it's saying. Your outward beauty is temporary. But your inward beauty is the same when you're adorned outwardly to come to church as it is when you wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and you've not even went to the mirror yet. Your inward beauty, if you have Christ, never, ever changes. You can change your outward beauty. You can change the color of your hair, or like me, you can get some hair. You can change your clothes. You can change your makeup color. You can change your fingernail polish. You can change all those things, but you can't change what you are inside. The permanence of beauty. All right, ladies, y'all still my friend? All right, I'm going to test that right now. The words, the words of a wife. So here's what he says Verse 4 Even the ornament of a meek, and quiet spirit. Now how many agree a meek and quiet spirit doesn't speak of outward but inward? How many agree the Bible says that Jesus Christ was meek and gentle? So what does a meek and quiet spirit represent? The life of the Lord Jesus lived out in you. Because this is the hidden man. Here's what he's saying. If you want to know what the hidden man looks like, if you want to know what it means to be adorned in the hidden man, here's what it looks like. A meek and a quiet spirit. All right, let me deal with each word and let me help you to understand what it's saying, okay? The first thing you're going to see here is the reflection of a godly wife. The word meekness means this. It means humble, mild, and gentle. The word spirit, here's what it means. Your disposition or your temperament. So when you put the two together, what does it mean? The reflection of a godly wife is this. Their temperament, who they are in their disposition, is going to be a person that is humble, mild, and gentle. Now, I'm going to walk on some ground and I'm going to test your friendship, ladies. How many of y'all find yourself arguing with your spouse all the time? Don't raise your hand, please. How many of you find yourself arguing with your spouse more than you want to? How many of you ladies think you have to be the police of your home? Let me give you a word, Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the 
So what does that not say? If the meek are the ones that are going to be happy and blessed, then those that are not meek will not be happy or blessed. Here's what it means. It doesn't mean that, ladies, you are on a lower rung of the ladder. That's not what it means at all. I want to say it again. You are co-equal with your spouse in the spiritual realm. Are you hearing me? Say amen. But here's what it means. If I'm going to submit to my husband, I'm going to demonstrate the hidden man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was meek, who had a temperament that was not disruptive. Remember the example? Jesus being accused of being a heretic. How many agree he could have instructed them concerning the law in a way where he could have defended himself vehemently? But he was reviled and did not revile again. You say, well, preacher... Are you saying I cannot express my opinions about issues? I didn't say that at all. It's not a matter of you expressing your opinions about issues. Listen, a marriage is a partnership. Are y'all hearing me say amen? It's not about not expressing your opinion. But how do you express your opinion? Is it honey? Can I share with you my thoughts on this issue? I'm telling you right now, you better do it this way. Y'all still my friend, right? That's what it means. Now, notice the second thing. Not only the reflection of a godly wife, but the restraint of a godly wife. It says here in the passage, you ought to adorn yourself with a meek and quiet spirit. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I can't ever talk? No, it don't mean that at all. But here's what it means. The word quiet means peaceable, undisturbed. In other words, in those conversations you have with your spouse, are you doing it in a peaceable way? Are you doing it in a way that's meant to disturb or to divide? Let me put it to you another way. You're going to find out tonight, man. Yeah, listen, you, you men, you think you've got it off this morning. You, you come back tonight. And by the way, wives, you ought to have your men here tonight. Y'all say amen. You say, well, I can't do that. I've got to be submissive to them. You pray for them, they'd be here tonight. <laughs> amen? Say amen. Listen, because here's what you're going to find. Everything a wife for the husband and a husband for the wife, everything is to be edifying to the other. What does edifying mean? Lifting up. You're going to find out tonight, husbands, you're to honor your wife. To lift up. A gentle or quiet spirit means this. 
that you talk and you communicate, you share your concerns, you share your problems, you share your disagreements in a way that still can lift that person up and not tear them down. All right, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand for this one. How many of you have arguments every now and then that turn into anger? I'll be the first to raise my hand. I had a preacher one time, I heard, me and my wife never argue. I want to stand up and say, liar! <laughs> so I'm going to say it again. How many of you have had arguments that turned into anger? All right. How many of you hate those things? I'm going to help you. A soft answer turneth away wrath. What's a soft answer? Quiet. Not in that you don't express yourself, but gentle, peaceable. You say, well, you don't know my spouse. They don't respond to that. Well, it may be they need to get saved and you're the example. All right. I can tell it's getting awful quiet in here. <laughs> All right, ladies. All that is what the Bible teaches. It's not what I'm teaching. I'm just going straight from the Scripture. But look at the, look at the reward of a godly wife. Have an ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God. Of what? Say it. Say it. I didn't hear you. Say it. God will only honor His Word. And God puts His favor upon you. If you walk in the right adornment, having the inner man, Christ lived out through you in meekness, in a temperament that is gentle and edifying. And anything else, listen, ladies, God will not honor. How many of you in here, men and women, both, I want you to raise your hand. How many of you in here, in here today would like to say this without any apology? I want God's favor on my marriage. This is the only way it happens. It's the only way it happens. All right, ladies. Y'all still okay? Amen? Now, you teenagers may be sitting here and say, well, this has nothing to do with me. I got news for you. You're going to get married one day. I want to tell you something like this. I wished I would have known this. See, I was lost. Me and my wife were lost when we got married, both of us. I promise you this, it would have saved me and her both a lot of heartache, wouldn't it, a sweet? If I'd have just understood what the Word said about a marriage. But ladies, I want to make this one statement and I'm done. The Bible says all that. But I want you to hear me. 
All that I just shared with you, you cannot do in and of yourself. It is only through the Lord Jesus this can be reality in you. And men, tonight, same thing's true with y'all and me. So now, you may be here today. And ladies, you may need to get your husbands right now. And you need to bring them to an altar and say, Honey, I'm sorry for the times that I've been not edifying, not peaceable, but demanding. You say, Preacher, I'm not going to do that in front of everybody else. I got news for you. Every married couple in this building has done it. Well, I don't want them to know. I, oh, I'm going to let you off the hook. Every married couple in this room has done it. Including me and my wife. Or you may be here today, ladies. You've got a lost spouse member. Maybe you just need to come and say, Lord, help me. Enable me. To be all that this passage says in front of my husband. Because your word says that my husband can be one if they see my subjection and my submission to you first and to him second. Save him for your glory. Listen, ladies. Not that you would have a better marriage for God's glory. Will you have a better marriage? You will if the Lord saves you. But that's not the motivation. The motivation is we all we do, we do for the what? Glory of God. Father, there may be people in here today that, Father, these truths have Help them to see what the answer is in their marriage from their side. And then, Father, tonight as we come back and look at it from the husband's side. But, Father, I pray today that if there's anybody in here that, Father, as this passage says, who obeys not your word, Maybe in here right now, you're pricking the heart of a husband or a wife or someone else. And just by the sharing of your word, you've pricked their heart and you've showed them, that's me. I don't obey the word. There's not a lifestyle of obedience. There's not a lifestyle of desire for obedience. And I need you. Father, I pray there would be wives in here today that would start right here, right now by humbling themselves before their husbands. Maybe, maybe, if you're showing them, only if you're showing them, they would say, Honey, I'm sorry. 
knowing we're all still growing in grace and knowledge. We're all, none of us have arrived. But Father, your word's clear. Maybe we just need to say, Lord, I want to be a biblical wife. Have your will in your way, in Jesus' name. And all God's children said,